0: The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more. Turn this, up. this is going to be crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm David Hi, this is Cal Newport, author of Deep Work. Today, this is
1: Ryan Park. I'm this is Ivan Davies from my family I'm South. Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. I'm
0: Lucas speaking D- This is Tate Butcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I'll be coming to see you Then we ask them the big questions Oh man, this is such a great question You've actually landed right on
1: the mark That's another really good
0: question It was great talking to some clever dudes I've
1: gone probably a little bit more in depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book I've
2: done like 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this Oh, wow.
0: And sometimes we talk about darts.
2: There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favorite sport is darts. How athletic is that? I
0: think it's uh, interesting that it's your favorite, but I won't be judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's the only
2: sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest. The
0: Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously.
2: So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go. Uh, my
1: friend. Okay. <laughs> but
3: we hope you will.
1: Welcome. I got my boo- to, work. ...to the Mojo Radio Show.
3: But it just won't work. Hey everybody and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. If you're feeling a little out of sorts or you just want to give your mojo a boost, then you have come to the right place. If you know somebody who is a little out of sorts and they need to get their mojo working, perhaps take some tips and tools, get your journal out, write down some notes... Tag it to your friends or work colleagues because this big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show is all about helping people get their mojo working in and out of work. If you're a regular, welcome back. It means the world to us to have you on board each and every week. If you can squeeze past our driver to the back of the bus, uh, our driver, <laughs> Robbo. <Robert. laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for that eloquent intro. <laughs> <laughs> Who made the tips uh. in the... Cookie jar, you fat bastard, you fat bastard. Yeah, master. that's right. Actually, Lola, can you check the Tim Tam stocks, please? <laughs> Ordering
0: Tim Tams.
2: Oh, thank God for Lola. AP, welcome aboard the
3: bus. Um, thank you. The dulcet tones of Andrew Peters. Where would the show be without Andrew Peters? Goodness me. We wouldn't have one, really, would we? We'd probably be on the right-hand side of <laughs> iTunes in there. <laughs> <laughs> the top download <laughs> yeah, shows. Right. As we'd probably be.
1: Now this could be true, but
3: uh, to get us started, Lola. Here's a challenge for you this morning, my friend. Play us something Canadian. I'm on it.
1: Ooh. Angry Lola.
3: Okay, to get us out of park, into gear. Robbo, Remarkable Fact, go.
1: Robbo's Remarkable
2: Fact.
0: Let's go.
2: Uh, Two quick ones, two business ones this week. Uh, Do you know why Facebook uses the colour blue? No. Because Mark Zuckerberg suffers from red-green colour blindness and once was quoted as saying, blue is the richest colour for me. So there you go, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's rich, all right, for him, yes. Indeed, and here's one I'd like your comment on. Uh, do you use Amazon to shop online at all? Yeah, yes and no. I buy books and Kindles. Okay, alright. Well, if you ever have a complaint, do you know that you can actually complain directly to Jeff Bezos if you use the email address Jeff at Amazon.com. It actually lands directly on his be- on his desk. And apparently, according to Jeff, he still personally reads every customer complaint. Occasionally he'll reply to them himself but normally he forwards them to the relevant person in the office with a question mark and then they have to come back to him within 24 hours with an explanation as to why the problem was there in the first place. So I'm interested in your thoughts in terms of customer service and running a business. Is that out of the ordinary for CEOs or do, are they across their business to that micro level regularly? Ah, it's extraordinary. I mean, the fact that the question would be does he do it? Is
3: it, is it a myth or does he actually do it? First question. If mm. he does, uh, then no, it's quite extraordinary. Have the management team of airlines ever flown in the back of a plane when they say, Sir, here is your special meal? Mmm there is nothing special about that meal. Has anybody who's ever (laughs) tried to buy insurance sat on the line and had to wait 20 minutes, you finally get through, they don't help you, then say, now, is there anything else I can help you with today? I mean,
2: Mm. answer your question, no. Incredible, isn't it? I I was surprised by that.
3: Now, I've got one for you. A big part of marketing, which is what we're going to be talking about today, is proofreading, right? Yep. This is a either what were they thinking or... This is not just remarkable, it's unbelievable. 46 million of Australia's new $50 notes had been printed with a typo. Really? (laughs) The new and improved, in inverted commas, $50 banknote was rolled out last October. Yes. And with all the people who should have been going through and proofreading, all the counterfeit processes on that yellow note contains a typo. They misspelled the word
2: responsibility. <laughs> so who's responsible for that?
0: I'm Anna DeVena I'm also known as the Sleep Muse. I help people get a great night's sleep. And often when people are struggling with sleep, I suggest that they listen to the Mojo radio show. And when they
3: do, they fall asleep instantly. Our guest this week is a mate of a good mate of ours from Canada, the one and only, the king,
2: the king of maple, Stan Pick. I'm still waiting for my maple bacon delivery from Stan. I'm going to have to chase him up on that.
3: No, Stan did, to his credit, Stan did send us a goodie bag with beer and something else in it, cookies or something, but never got through customs. Yeah, never got here. Stan put us in touch with... Ben Baker, and Any made of stands is a made of us and our show. Now, for 20 years, Ben Baker has been helping develop stories, which is an interesting gig, isn't it? Just developing stories for his clients, and he does it in, well, he hopes a compelling way that builds their brand. Now, every brand, whether it be personal, as you'll hear during the show, or that of a company, should have a unique story to tell that Talks to the target audience, draws them in, separates them from all the other guys, and ideally adds value to the brand and creates a tool that you can then develop business from. So that's what Ben does. And he helps people find their story. He helps them tell it in a compelling way that makes it authentic and memorable. He's a good guy. And if you enjoyed the Stamp Peak interviews from back in the day on the Mojo Radio Show, you'll love this guy. Ben's an author. He's a keynote speaker, he's a consultant, and he is here on the line. Ben, mate, welcome to the Mojo
4: Radio Show. Oh, thank you. I'm the one with the funny accent. I appreciate you guys letting us on from across the pond, so I appreciate that.
3: Thank you, our good friend, Stan Peake, who is a good friend of yours and a great friend of our show for introducing us. When, When people meet you as we are for the first time and somebody says, What do you do?
4: How do you like to reply? Well, the first thing I usually tell them is I like to cause trouble. But that's that once we get past (laughs) that, you know, it's 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 what I do is I work with people to help them engage, retain, and grow their employees is probably the easiest way to do it. I work to help build leaders at any level within companies. You speak a lot about personal brand in
3: retaining people in an organization. Does personal
4: brand play into your strategies for doing that? It absolutely does. You know, I find, especially with leaders, leaders need to understand who they are. And first of all, I hate the term managers. I, I am on a kick to get rid of the term manager and get into team leaders or call them leaders in one way or another, get rid of the managers. Man- managers are, you know, paper pushers. They just, you know, they, they don't lead people leaders help people uh, find safe space to be able to grow and to achieve their goals and to learn things amongst them, because you cannot grow as a leader until the people below you are able to take over whatever position you're in. So I work a lot with management teams, leadership teams to be able to help them understand who they are, what they do, why they do it and allow them to build the confidence and the trust with the people that they work with that they're going to be able to give them the vision that they need to be able to succeed. This is a little off-ramp for us here, but in order to do that, to be developing
3: people to step into your shoes, yeah, then ego must play a part of that. It must be, from a leader's perspective, being able to put ego to the side because you are basically train, training someone to take your position so you can
4: become redundant in that role. How do you see ego there? Yeah, ego is something you always have to manage. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a bit of ego, but it's utilizing it in the right position. It's a matter of sitting there going, getting people to realize, I don't know everything. I can't do everything. And I can't be responsible for everything. You know, I can do what I can do. I can lead the team that I can lead. I can make them the best they can do. I can, when we all work together, we all succeed, you know, and build people up that way. But if people are sitting there and say, it's all about me all the time, you know, every day of the week, you know, the people below them, the people that work for them or work with them realize that and they're not willing to listen as often. If if you're always hearing somebody sit there and say, you know, listen to me because I know best, it doesn't really resonate very well or because I said so. Those things don't resonate well and they tend to have the opposite effect of what you're looking for. Things,
3: there's no doubt that the impact of, if we go back back to when you and I were starting out in business, things were very different than they are today. We had very little access to the world around us on a minute by minute, if not week by week basis. Is the way that today's media operates in traditional and non-traditional, do you think that the comparison people have in roles, whether it be leaders or workers, do you think the easy access to the world around us is putting pressure onto today's worker based on that comparison?
4: Yeah. And, you know, if if I look at my book, my book is called Powerful Personal Brands, a hands-on guide to understanding yours. I I go into media and social media it quite an extensive basis. And what I realized is when I was looking at this, is that people are under enormous amount of pressure. They're always looking at their social media feeds and they're always looking at people they perceive are better than, than them or more successful than them or have a bigger house or a bigger car or, you know, better looking spouse than they are because whatever you look at in social media, the algorithm feeds you more of that. So you're always getting pushed through the algorithm of if you're looking at, you know, successful people the top 30, under 30 or whatever, that's what you're going to start showing up in your feed and then you start buying into it. And you start saying, well, I'm not as good as these people or I'm not as, you know, I'm not as worthy or, or on the other hand, this is, well, you second, why do they have this and I don't? We both have MBAs. Why are they making a quarter million dollars a year and I'm not? And then you start getting into the inferiority complex and everything that goes along with that. And it's starting to get people to realize that the majority of the world is not what you see in social media. And social media is not always the truth. And be able to take things with a great assault and start being happier with who they are and be able to set goals based on their individual goals and not what the world expects of them.
3: There's actually a line at the start of your book. You wrote, who I am as a person. And who you are as a person should not be determined by the things in our lives. A million-dollar home is not your personal brand. It's a thing. But today, it does seem that these things are defining our personal brand. At what point do people start to get this, Ben? Because we, we are living in other people's worlds, and we do always post ourselves in our best light, and in, in a lot of cases, even on LinkedIn, it's becoming a bragathon. Yeah. At what point do people get this to say, what's behind that facade? Who really am I as a personal brand?
4: I take a look at things and say things are just things and they can be taken away in a moment's notice. You know, I got hit by a car six years ago and lost three and a half years of my life. Uh, you know, to, to you know, dealing with lawyers and accountants and and physiotherapists and this and that and everything and realize that, you know, things are just things. It's your health. It's it's the people around you. It's the people that you can affect. And it's it's the things that you do that to make the world a better place that really make people believe in who you are. Jeff, Jeff Bezos said it best. He said, you know, your brand is determined by, you know, what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm. And if, if all you're concerned about is, you know, it says, well, you know, he's got a bigger house or he's got a bigger car or he's got a bigger you know, bank account. What does that say about you? You know, what does that say? If, if those are the only things that are important, don't get me wrong. I like a nice house. I like a nice car. You know, money is, money is a good thing. You know, money takes me on vacations. Money, you know, sends my kids to university. There's nothing wrong with having money. But if you're just measuring your life based on the amount of money in your bank account, to me, you're missing the best parts of life. And, you know, it it, I... You know, it took me years to understand that when I was 30 years old or 20, uh, actually 29 years old, I was devastated that I didn't make the 30 under 30 list. You know, that was a goal for me. I wanted to be on the 30 under 30 list, that was the most important thing to me, and to have a million dollars in my bank account by the time I was 30. And I didn't. And I walked around on my 30th birthday thinking that I was a failure because I didn't make that goal. And the question is, you know, it probably kicked me in the butt and made me think and say, say really, was that the right goal? Was, was that the right thing for me to be looking to achieve? And the answer ended up being no. But it takes a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of different reasons to come up with the understanding of what's important, really important in their lives.
3: That day when you woke up in the morning and you were 30, you looked at the most recent magazine and you weren't there. If you could go back to that very morning and sit down with a cup of coffee, put your arm around that young guy's
4: shoulders and say, what would you say? It may seem like a travesty today, but you know what? In the end, you have your health, you're married, you have a really nice house, you have friends, you have you travel, you do amazing things, you're respected at work. Those are the things that are important. Those are the things that are gonna stay with you. This is a day in your life. This is just one day in your life and one goal of many. And if this is the most important goal, you know, you need to start looking forward because you have another 60 to 70 years ahead of you to have other goals for you to to, to achieve. Just look at this and say, what are you going to learn from it? What are you going to take away from this? How are you going to change your life to make you better and move on? You just mentioned the word the future. If you think specifically about
3: personal brand, which is the book is about that, a lot of your work is about that. If yeah. you think about the future of the personal brand, Ben, what can you see? What's going to happen? Do you think in your mind, if you could hallucinate, the area of personal branding in the future, the next three to five years, here's what's going to happen.
4: What do you reckon? Well, I, I'm personally hoping that the influencer will go the way of the dodo bird. <laughs> you know, that's 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 just me. Um, I think that there's way too many people that have the look at me attitude the the YouTube stars, the influencers, the Instagram stars, all those people that people sit there and say I have to be like them because they're they're doing this on Instagram so I need to be just like them and I'm hoping to god that the that part of the world just dies and mm. we go back to the world where people are looking at their at their brand and sit there going okay How do I want people to think about me when I'm not in the room? That's what I should start be acting like. And that's what, those are the goals that I should start moving towards. There's a quote
3: that you have mentioned and it is, why fit in if you were born to stand out? Yeah. Tell us why does it resonate with you and how does that fit into personal brand?
4: If I remember correctly, it's Dr. Seuss. Correct. Um, I'll I'll have to remember. Okay, there's is Dr. Seuss. The reason I love it so much is because if we're all the same, if we all think the same, if we all act the same, if we all speak the same, what's the fun of that? What's the fun? How do we learn? How do we get better? How do we, you know, how do we move forward? How do we innovate? How do we create the next whatever if we're all thinking in the same manner? You know, if, if you just are like everybody else, what makes you interesting? Why do I want to? Why do I want to learn about you? Why do I want to be with you? Why do I want to, you know, inter- engage with you? If you're just like everybody else, each and every single person in this world has something about them that makes them unique, that makes them a little bit different. That you know, that is something that they're passionate about, whether it's rugby or darts or cycling or swimming or skydiving or whatever. Everybody's got something in their life that they're passionate about and that it's something that is, that is you know truly and uniquely them. And those are the things that make you interesting. It, you don't have to have climbed Everest. You don't have to have swam at the bottom of the ocean. You know, it's the little things that make people different that make them interesting. And that those little nuances is what makes the world a better place. Do you think people
3: are doing it but don't recognize it, Ben, or do you think yes. people are just not putting themselves in a place to create that
4: I think two things I think that a lot of people are unaware and don't take the actual time and the effort to understand who they truly are to actually you know dive into you know who am I, what do I believe, what am I passionate about what do I, you know what am I willing to fight for, what am I willing to fight against? Who are the people in my life that are important and why? You know, a lot of people aren't willing to take that time. They, they'll, they'll sit there and say, oh, well, family's important to me. And I go, okay, why? Why is family important to you? My job is important to me. Well, why is your job important to you? And a lot of people don't take the time and the energy to actually ask that why question and find out what are the little things about whatever they do that actually matter to them and, you know, and differentiate them in the workplace, you know, and then you just have other people that just blissfully live their lives, you know, they just, they just live their lives and they do what they do. And, you know, they're not looking for the greater purpose. They're just, they're just are, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that, if you're happy with that, if if you're blissfully happy, just being who you are and, and not diving into the, you know, the things that can make you better, you know what, that's your choice and that's your life and you should be celebrating that as well. But it's got to be a conscious decision.
3: Do you know, this is a really interesting point, Ben, because I reckon there's a way to articulate that. And I reckon there are people who just heard those six or seven questions who believe they are blissfully happy, happy with their status quo, happy with their bit in life, and they'll go, yeah, that's a really good point. Somebody in the audience will have stopped the podcast and gone, (laughs) rewind, let me write down those seven questions. Let me pull the car over. Let me pause this on the bus or the train or at work or on the, the treadmill at the gym. We'll have gotten a piece of paper or their notebook out. We'll have written down those seven questions and then we'll make a time to sit down and answer those questions. And I reckon that's a really fundamental way for people to articulate exactly how important is this for you to know yourself? Because if you know yourself, then you can answer those questions quickly. But the fact yes. of the matter is even, even if you think you know those answers, if you are the person who wants more, who is constantly improving themselves, they'll stop this podcast, go back, rewind, play that again, write them down, and just, just check in. Many will let it just let it roll, and it's really interesting. On last week's show, or two weeks ago, we had a guy called Cameron Schwab, and we talked about yeah, learning. To that one. A, yeah, and he was he was just he was fantastic. He was killer, and um, you would have heard him talk about the fact that he learns, he reads a lot, and he wants an hour of writing, an hour of training, and an hour of writing every day is his is his his perfect day. And wow. he said it's it's not just about the learning part. The second part, he said, is the curation, which I love because, and that's what I'm talking about here, the curation, is you hear this gold that you just, this Canadian gold, this maple gold you just dropped, and you go, well, that's really gold. It's then the curation. And I reckon the curation is how we audit, well, how serious are you about getting to know yourself? Is that kind of the process you would sit with somebody helping them develop their personal brand? Would you go
4: down that track? Oh, absolutely. And you know, and one thing I tell people is you are a culmination of your experiences to this point in time. The people that you have met, the things that you have done, the things that you've done, and the things that you haven't done, and the things you've learned to this point in time, it doesn't make you who you're going to become it gives you a roadmap and we all need to be constantly, you know, finding your personal brand is a moment in time. You know, you you are basically who you are throughout your life, but your thoughts and your views and your ideals might change. You know, I'm not the same person I was at 20. I'm probably not the same person I was at 40, you know, and we, because of different experiences I've been in, my thoughts, my ideas, you know, my beliefs have changed, you know somewhat and have matured. So we need to be constantly evaluating. It's not just do this once and then leave it. It's okay, let's check back every five years and sit there going, "What has changed? What's different? Do I believe things now that I didn't believe in, in five years ago? Did I have an experience in my life that I didn't have five years ago that has flipped me on my head? And those are the things that people need to look at. You know how that it. This is a continuum. It's not. It's not just a do once and then forget about gold, rubber. I'm changing the name of Canadian gold.
2: It's Maple Bacon Gold. <laughs> gold. It's, just, it's got. It's got more juice to it.
4: Canadian Canadian Club Gold. There we go. We got the Canadian <laughs> Club. That's the good stuff.
2: <laughs> now you're speaking my
3: language. <laughs> now I want to take you back a bit. You mentioned going back. Five years, ten years, twenties. Years. I'm going to take you back to when you were a kid. This is, it reminds sure. me a piece out of your book, and you wrote, "As an elder child in my house, I grew up expected to sit at the table and converse with the friends of my parents." Looking back, yeah. this was one of the best things that my parents ever did for me. It taught me how to listen, how to converse, and how to share controversial ideas in a way that people would accept in premise, even if they did not, even if the ideas. They didn't like that you were sharing. And I thought, you know, that's really profound is that – and it's funny you mentioned Jeff Bezos and people like that because one of the – James Cameron, the movie producer, Spielberg, they all say some of the most important times of their lives is around the dinner table with their families for creative ideas, also relationship and just what's important in your life. So I thought that was just a beautiful paragraph out of your book. But it also made me think, based on what you just said, that articulating who is important to be around you also sounds like it's a part of your personal brand as well as what's important to you. Do you do an audit on those people as well, like specifically who you're spending time with?
4: Yeah, I mean, I do whatever I can to take the negative people out of my life. I truly and absolutely do. If I know there's people in my life that just are constantly negative, that are constantly, um, you know, downtrodden, everything, the glass is always empty. Those are the people that I purposely avoid and don't spend time with in my life because the energy that I get from them is draining. It is absolutely draining. I met a guy, you know, after 20 years, a kid that I was very good friends with in high school. And he and I had a very different life. He ended up graduating high school and ended up having to take care of his parents because he had aging parents, and they weren't, you know, they didn't have a lot of money, and there was a lot of things that went along with it. But I hadn't seen him in twenty odd years. He got married and moved away, and whatever. We got together, and there was nothing but negativity that came out of his mouth for an hour and a half of conversation over lunch. And I couldn't call him back. I I just I absolutely could not call him back you know, as close friends as he and I were 20 years before, we had absolutely nothing in common anymore. And I was more sad for him because there was no, the glass wasn't even close to half full. It was, it was a quarter full at at best, you know, and to live your life like that just to me is unhealthy. I want to be around people that challenge me. I want to be around people that have different views People that disagree with me, people that have strong views and strong thoughts and, you know, and are great at what they do because I don't know everything. I'll never know everything. And if I can be around people that challenge me and challenge my thought processes, it helps me grow. It helps me be better because I don't have to agree with them, but I want to understand them. And if I understand them, I have a better point of view and I have a broader viewpoint. And it helps me when I'm working with my customers and with my friends and with my family to be able to look at things from a different viewpoint. I want to sort of continue a thread
3: here that you're talking about people that you are with customers And if I tie it back to the lesson from that dinner table conversing with the friends of your parents, and you said, in the middle of that paragraph, it said, it taught me how to listen. And I've heard you speak on a podcast about the sales process and how important Mm -hmm. it is to feel that you're being heard, that the other person is actually listening, which really you have to say, Ben, is sales 101. Yet my question for you is, with all you're seeing going on right now, why, why do we just constantly get disappointed by companies and salespeople and or people in customer service who actually don't listen, think they are, but don't make us feel as though we're being heard. What, why, why are we seeing that? Where, where is sales 101 breaking down when that's an absolute fundamental?
4: Because people listen to speak instead of listening to understand is probably the best way I can put it. The majority of people are halfway through your talk are going, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And they're 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 listening to you, but they're listening so they can figure out where's the break in the conversation so they can get their process in. They're not absorbing what you have to say. They're not understanding what you have to say. They want to speak at you. They don't want to speak with you. And conversation, and I'm going to say that social media has a, a you know, a big part in creating a lot of the chaos uh, with communication over the last 30 years, because communication is now pretty much one way we put something out and then maybe it comes back to us. Maybe it doesn't, you know, and and we, we push something out. We send somebody a text out, we send an Instagram, Facebook message, LinkedIn, whatever. And maybe we get a response and maybe we don't, but so many people put something out there and then they don't wait for the responses and then they don't engage with the people that they're you know that respond on social media so we're we're learning how to not listen to each other and we're forming habits that make us lazy and we just are trying to get our viewpoint out and not actually listening to what other people have to say and it really is detracting not only for sales, but also inside companies, because that's how miscommunication happens and chaos ensues. It just seems like such a valuable thing to teach people. Listening is a skill that builds trust. And without trust, there's nothing. I mean, you bring in the Seahawks. The Seahawks, the fans are known as the 12th man. You know, there's 11, there's a, on an NFL football team, there's 11 players on the field the, the fans are known as uh, the 12th man. And uh, if you look through the stands on the Seahawks, you're going to see banners that say 12th man and number 12 and hmm. people walking around with T-shirts and foot, uh, you know, football jerseys that say number 12. And it really is an understanding that we are all part of the same. And, that, and that's what organizations or families or friends or whatever is to say we're all in it together you know when i'm talking to leaders of organizations and they say well you need to do some workshops for my team i go no i need to do some workshops including you because if you're not part of the you know, solution you're part of the problem and a lot of these ceos and the c-suites sit there going no 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 you have have to train my people i'm going no you're part of your people <laughs> you know and it's it, it it and some of them get it and a lot of them don't You know, a lot of them truly don't understand. They think that it's not their responsibility to be part of the workshops that I do. You know, that's for other people. And I'm going, no, if I train your people and we get things and get better communication going, and then all of a sudden you're coming in and creating habits that are detracting to that, they're going to go back to whatever you say and what you're doing. You know, we all lead by example. We follow people based on what they do, not on what they say. You know, we, we, we look at people and we sit there and say, okay, they're saying one thing, they're doing another. I believe that what they're doing is probably what they truly believe, not what they're saying. You know, so it's really important that everybody in the organization is doing and saying the same thing in order to really create those positions where there can be empathy and people can truly understand each other. You talk about history and what history can
3: tell us, what I'm curious about, Ben, is what can history tell us about the future that's in front of
4: us? I think if we don't look at history and we don't learn it from history, and I think actually the school system is doing a horrific job. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in Canada, I think the school system is doing a horrific job explaining history because history says this is what we've done, these are the lessons that we've learned. How do we move past this? You know, if we don't evaluate our past and look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, what really happened? You know, and not the whitewashed version. What really happened? You know, we'll never learn from it, and we'll never move beyond, and we'll we'll make the same mistakes over and over again. But if we if we can actually look and be critical and sit there saying, "Well, that was stupid." Shouldn't have done that you know you're less likely to do it again, and you know whether that's you know something that happened on a world stage or something that happened in your home you know you're less likely to to do something again if you've actually learned a real valuable lesson and you have evaluated it than if you go huh oh, well, whatever, and you keep moving
3: if you take what we've talked about so far and apply it to a marketer. Or a leader who is responsible for a brand, what would you say is the, the one or two absolute key characteristics
4: that make a great marketer? If you don't understand your brand, you can't tell your story. It's really that simple. Too many people out there create tactical marketing tactics all day every day without truly understanding their brand. Who are their customers? Why do these people care about us? Why do they buy from us? What do they buy from us? What problems do we truly solve? And what differentiates us? You know, too many people don't have that basic information ingrained into themselves before they start going out there and marketing. They, they go out there and say, we've got this cheap on sale today, you know, and that's their marketing tactic, Um You know, that's a race to the bottom. That's a race to being a commodity. That's a race to being, you know, one of 10,000 or one in 100,000 businesses out there. But the companies that are able to market based on understanding their brand and telling their brand story and can make sure that every single tactic that they use resonates with their brand and ties back to their brand – it allows consumers, wherever they are, to sit there and say, oh, okay, they're doing this here. They're doing consistently here. They're doing it consistently here. All right, this is what they stand for. This is what they do. Maybe I should pay attention to this. Maybe I should go look at their website. Maybe I should go in and talk to them. Maybe they can help me. You know. And those are the things that make a brand better, and that's what makes marketing better is when you truly understand your brand before you go out there and bo- even try to start spending money on marketing. You do
3: a lot of learning and a lot of observations of the history and what's going on in the market now. And I, I think I heard you say that you choose to read articles more than
4: books. Is that right? And if it is right, why yeah. why articles as opposed to actual books? I like a diverse opinion. I, I, I truly and absolutely do. I, I think that... If I can, uh, in two thousand words, you know, there's a lot of information I can get, and it allows me to be able to sit there and say, okay, let's find out what's going on in the insurance industry. Let's look at financial industry, the transportation industry, the the you know avionics, whoever, and be able to read multiple points of view very quickly on the same subject, and be able to sit there and say, okay, how do different you know authors Think about this in you know in in terms of how it relates to their business, because if all I do is read about marketing from a marketing point of view, I'm missing the point. You know, yes, I read you know I read Gary Vaynerchuk books, I read Seth Godin books, I read you know I, I don't get me wrong, I do read books, but on the other hand, I always find that if I'm reading articles, they're far to be far more. Um, Up to date, I find that they tend to be far more uh, condensed and they give a very good snapshot of what people are thinking in that industry at that point in time. How do you record your learnings? So say you are reading about avionics
3: and transport and computer program. You're reading wide and varied. You're reading a lot of articles. Yeah. What's the, do you have a process for not only the learning, but then the curating, as Cameron would say, Cameron Schwab? how do you curate your learnings how do you
4: store them and then how do you recall them a lot of it comes down to i read a lot in order to write a lot um i am a, you know a writer i've written you know dozens and dozens of articles for different publications i think i have over 200 posts on linkedin um you know i've had 110 or 120 shows on the yourlivingbrand.live show and i take all that information that i learn and I disseminate it through the different vehicles. Um, and I'm a big believer of I learn by teaching others. The more I can teach others, the more it becomes ingrained into my own brain. So if I can take little sna- snippets or snapshots and say that, you know, I learned this, here's some things, and here's a couple of things you may want to think about, it becomes ingrained in my brain a little bit more. You know, and you take a look at articles that I've written, there's a lot of highlight, there's a lot of highlighting on them
3: what are you
4: still trying to discover about your own brand ben you know what as as i get older and i'm and i'm reaching 50 i'll be 50 in september um it's it's what's next i'm i'm always looking for what's next what's the next challenge within my life what are the what's the the next thing that i want to accomplish what are the next goals that i that i want to do and you know, for me right now, it's far more workshops, keynotes, and consulting. You know, for larger corporations on on a, on a you know on a business point of view. Um, you know, on, on 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 a personal point of view, it's 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 being able to hit far more bullseyes and triple twenties, and you know, being able to get you know, be able to get that golf score down. But that's a different score. That's a different story altogether. Um, but it's it's always looking to sit there and say, okay, what what am I missing? What, you know, what's, what's out there that I haven't seen that I, that, that, that what are the things that I don't know? I don't know. And start looking at for those things. And who do I have to connect with and, you know, and have conversations with to find out the things that I don't know. I don't know. I don't need to be an expert on everything. I don't want to be an expert on everything, but the more I can have insight into things, the more interesting I think my life is. There's some more Canadian club gold there, mate. I like that line. What am I missing? What a, what a great premise
3: for a, a leader, marketer, an individual, a student to wake up in the morning going, what am I missing to set about the day being curious? That's, um, that's Canadian gold. It's good.
4: Ben, what, are you, what, what makes you the most nervous today? The speed of technology. Quite honestly, the speed of technology. Um, you never, you're never going to be up to date ever. I don't care you know how technologically advanced you are, I don't care how much you read, how much you know. There's always stuff down the pipe that is that is you know that's been thought about 5 years ago that you won't know about for another 5 years. And you know, I think it's almost you got to embrace that. You know, I remember in the 1990s selling computers and telling somebody that the 486SX20 with 120 megabyte hard drive and four megs of RAM was the last computer they were ever going to have to buy. (laughs) And think about it. Think think about the technology and how, you know, at that day, that was the best computer out there. And I think the guy spent $3,500 on that computer at the time, you know, running Windows 3.1. And you you look at it and you sit there and say, okay, at the time when he bought it, that was the latest, greatest technology. Today, I have more power in my right hand with, with my phone than that, you know, than twenty of those computers put together.
3: I've got a couple of quick things to ask you before I hand you to our. Chief Engineer, for the big questions of the interview. Yeah. You just okay. mentioned a couple of things I want to ask you about. Uh, the first thing is technology. <laughs> this is just a thing I'm curious about. Your family is split. You said downstairs your family is Apple, but upstairs you are PC. Yes.
4: Is that a brand thing, functionality thing? Why Why is that? I, I honestly think it's a functionality thing. I mean, it's interesting. I grew up with, you know, in 1984, we had the original Apple in our in our house. We had the original Apple with a RAM drive, and we originally, you know, we went to the 20 megabyte hard drive and the one megabyte of RAM. And, you know, we were we were the bee's knees at that point in time. And I, you know, I started off with Mac, and and somewhere in university, I moved over to PCs. I think it was, at that point in time, it was probably a cost thing. And I've been involved in PCs ever since. And it's just it's just. For me, it's far more logical because I always wanted to be on the back end. I wanted to be able to go to DOS prompt and be able to look at the back end of things and this, that, the other thing. For my wife, it was functionality. The computer worked, you know, and the kids in Canada, I don't know if, it, if it's says in the US, but the kids in Canada, Apple went big time into education and, you know, from the time these kids were in grade one, they were being introduced to Apple. So they, it's very comfortable for them. You know, so it's it's one of those things that it was, it just worked that way. So I'm comfortable on PC. I can still work a Mac. I have no problem with a Mac. It's just for what I do and the type of works that I that I do on a daily basis. I'm just more comfortable on a PC. Doesn't make one right. Doesn't make one you know, wrong. You know, some people liked Word Perfect. Where some people like Word. You know, it's it's just, it's what you get used to. You said you are now
3: 50. I'm just curious, when you think back through your career, Ben, when did you first find or trust your own voice? Because there are people in a leadership role. There are people in a business role, sole employer. There are people who have these ideas, they don't trust themselves, they don't trust their voice. What was the turning point for you where you had the confidence to have a crack and know that you've got something to share that's of value?
4: Well, I think it was probably 2007 when I when I went out on my own. When I, when I left the company I was working for, I decided it was time to hang up my own shingle and, and start my own life. And I think that that, you know, if, um, it might have been before that, but that was probably the apex, the turning point where I sit there and say, you know what, it's time to do this on my own and do it my way, you know, and be able to run a company the way I want it, a, a company to be run and take care of customers the way I want to take care of them. And when I walked out the door and I emailed all my customers to say, same great service, just to change a name, 85 or 90% of my clients came with me. Which I was expecting 60%. You know, so it, it, it led me to believe that, you know what, I was going to be okay. You know, right, starting at the, the business right in the middle of a financial crisis was probably not the best move. But at least, you know, when I came, my customers were embracing, you know, me enough and, and let me know that they believed in me enough that it got me through those first couple of years where it was really tough.
3: Something you mentioned, and I don't have the details, but you mentioned that you are in a mastermind. And if I just loop that back to where we were before about who we surround ourselves with and curating the right people and so on, are you still in the mastermind? And if you are, how does that run? What's the format from it and what does it give you?
4: Yeah, I actually, uh, the, the mastermind broke up a, a, a few months ago Um and a lot of it came down to, I couldn't get commitment of the people within the mastermind itself. Masterminds, great masterminds come together, they run their course and they tend to, you know, they tend to dissipate. And I find that, you know, a great mastermind for the most part, probably runs somewhere between 12 and 24 months. Um, you know, and it, it, the reason that we, we came together was because of, of a mutual uh, belief that we were all stronger together. You know, we had we had all met through a course together um you know it was and it was it was continuing on the thought processes that happened within a course and it was it was fairly successful but over time people's needs changes people's wants changes and therefore the 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 group broke up but you know what was valuable to me was was the difference in perspectives because these were people from all over North America we we met on Zoom you know every other week and a lot of it came down to you know I've run into this situation I've never been in this before has somebody done this and 9 times out of 10 somebody had and it it it, it was nice to have somebody who had been down a rabbit hole before and knew how to get out of it
3: i've heard you say that when targeting your perfect customer, you, you talk about focusing on your champions and you name them a champion. And when you know who an absolute core champion is, then that allows you to say no. Yeah. Just talk me through that quickly is the why, because I think that's a really nice framing for it. And, And in your
4: own personal experience, when was the last time you said no? Are you saying that you know whether I decide to, to go ahead with a customer or not? Say go ahead with a customer or firing yes, a customer? Yes. Or, yes. The last time I fired a customer was a fairly major client, and, and it was you know it was probably about a quarter million dollar client, and you don't t- you don't do that quite you know loosely or, or rashly. And the reason that we ended up going our separate ways is because they called me unethical is probably the best way of saying it. I tried to fix a problem for them. They were not willing to take the 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 advice that I gave them. They thought that I would they disagreed with what I was doing um and you know they had signed off on something and I was holding them to it and they you know they were trying to back out of a situation that that they couldn't back out of. And you know it just was one of those things that all of a sudden when your ethics are being you know, questioned, the conversation ends because it's all about trust. If people don't trust me, they shouldn't do business with me. It's really that simple. You know, I, I, there's seven and a half billion people in this world. I'm not going to be able to appease all of them. You know, I look for customers where there is ability to shake hands, disagree, and move forward. Yo, I'm not perfect. The people I work with aren't perfect, but I'm always sitting there going, how do we work through this together? If the mistake happens, let's figure it out. Let's understand what happened and how do we fix it together. And it's not about, you know, blame. It's about sitting there going, you know what? This happened. This is the situation. This is what needs to happen to be able to fix it. How do we do it? And sometimes it costs me money, and sometimes it costs me reputation, and sometimes I've had to stand in front of a, a board of directors and, you know, and take a knife for a customer to make sure that they, you know, they look good to their bosses. And I'm, o- I'm okay to do that as long as there's long-term relationship that's going to be built out of, out of the, the ashes of the phoenix. But, you know, it's got to be in a position where there's win-win for everybody, and those are the customers that I want, and those are the people that I try to do business with, because then it's not about price; it's about how do we work together to make you know make make success happen. Because I've heard you say it's interesting that the way you frame that. Because I've also heard
3: you say that. Our mistakes can build trust, which ties a few threads of the last twenty or so minutes on the show together. Because you mentioned the word trust, and now being honest, having that open dialogue. Yeah, but it's an interesting statement, isn't it? That our mistakes can
4: actually build trust. They absolutely do. It's as I tell suppliers of mine, you're going to make a mistake. It's going to happen things are going to happen you're going to make a mistake it's how we you know we work through it together that makes the difference between whether we continue to do working or we don't you know i don't care if people make mistakes i want people to sit there and say you know what i made a mistake i'm sorry this is what happened here's a couple different ways we can fix it what would you like to do and i do the same thing to my customers to me it's 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 how we sit there and say you know what we we put on our big boy pants or big girl pants and sit there and go, you know what? We 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 made a mistake. Live with it. Instead of, you know, hiding behind it's their fault, it's their fault, you know, pointing fingers, making blame and and, and hiding behind email and voicemail. It doesn't work for me. I'm
3: loving this conversation, Ben. However, uh, now that I have sufficiently warmed you up, I've had you up against the ropes. Fair fair to say, Uh, and you
4: now robo has got to you know he's going to uh, yeah you need you you need a big double you need a big
3: big
2: double or triple to get out of this one my brother Uh, so I'm going to hand you to the portly porter of the bus. I have to start this, start this conversation by saying I turned 50 this year's tube, so now my big boy pants have to have a built-in nappy. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. That's another story. You up to doing a nifty 90? Sure. You know what? I'm in. Let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah.
1: Robbo's Nifty 90.
4: All right, let's do this. We'll start the clock. What's the last movie you watched? The last movie I watched actually was Aladdin. The, the actual original Disney animated version was the actually the last one I actually watched. Wow. Yeah. There you go. My daughter's favourite movie, so you're yeah, involved. I am a Disney fanatic, so, yeah, that's probably the last movie I actually watched. What's your favourite place to read a book? You know what? There is... Um, I'm really blessed. Uh, where we live is about eight-minute walk from a, a dike trail where there are phenomenal benches... And great views and a couple good coffee shops and anywhere where I can grab a coffee and a, and a bench and be able to sit out and just, you know, have some peace and quiet and, you know, and do that is, is a great place to read a book.
2: What's one thing that gets under your skin? One thing that really annoys you?
4: I think the thing that gets under my skin the most is that when people don't live up to their word. Something that's best done slowly. Building trust. Building relationships.
2: Oh, answer. Plus. There you go.
4: Dogs or cats. What's your favorite? Oh, Dogs. Yeah. You know, the only cat that I want is a Bengal tiger. <laughs> you and Mike Tyson there hanging See, out. See, the reason, the reason is that they eat small dogs. <laughs> See, a dog starts at about 25 or 30 kilograms. Yeah. Uh, you know, anything below that is something that gets under your feet. It's not a dog. Favorite vegetable? Well, it certainly isn't uh, Brussels sprouts, I'll tell you that much. Nah, no, thank uh, you on the least. Cooked carrots are probably one of my favorites.
2: Something you don't want to regret not doing before you die. Seeing the world. Nice.
4: And on that point, if you could have a plane ticket anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? I want to come to Oz, actually. I'm, I'm hoping to be in Oz uh, in about three, three and a half weeks is, is the goal. It's, uh, we're working on it right now on, on a speaking tour and some workshops in Sydney and Melbourne. I'm really excited about that. Or that, or I want to go on safari in Africa. Those are the two places I desperately want to go.
2: Nice. All
4: right. And here's the big question: You wake up in the
2: morning. You're out of bed. You're walking downstairs, but your mojo's just not happening this morning. <clears throat> Even the first cup of coffee is not getting you there. What's the uh, What's the song that goes on the uh, the computer in the study, or in your headphones, or on your phone to get your mojo going for the day?
4: Walking on sunshine.
3: Bit of Katrina in the Waves. You got it. Good for you. That was the soundtrack for my first ever skydive. I love oh, it. was it really? <laughs> we were playing that in the plane and we were about yeah. to go and the guy had that playing in the plane and then we went to a nightclub and drank beers that night and played it
2: over and over
3: <laughs> no, because we lived, we lived
2: through, the, uh, through the experience. Yeah, there you go. If I was ever brave enough to skydive, I think I'd have to have Dreams by Van Halen I think that would have to be mine. There we go. No, it'd be uh, drop the pilot. <laughs> no, don't drop the pilot because I got to get the plane Actually, down Actually,
4: No, it'd be, it'd be status quo. you <laughs> that, a ground control to Major Tom. There we go. There, <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. To major Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Space
3: it'd be Odyssey. Tora, Tora, yeah. Tora, bombs away. <laughs> uh, ben, this has been great. Any made of Stampede is a mate of ours, and that's really interesting. You know, I, Rob and I often talk about this. Is that you know, I'm 57, fifty-eight this year, so we've all seen media change dramatically over the years. And back in the day when we were in our 20s, there's no way you could make contact with an author or a thought leader or a speaker or anybody because you just really couldn't get to them. You had to write a letter to them, whereas nowadays exactly. through technology, the advantage is... Is that Stan can introduce us to you? You get to meet us. We get to spend some, you know, an hour together, and we have really made the most amazing contacts through the world of podcasts. And I think it's it's something that is not acknowledged enough about this is a medium. Not only the learning, but just the contacts, and also people who follow the show and people who support us on Patreon. They basically become mates. And I, I don't know, I just, I just find, and you're a podcaster, I just find that it is one of the unsung great stories of podcasts that we can, because we feel as though we could have a beer with you easily right now and the conversation would go for hours with beers and darts. Well, Absolutely. it sounds like we
2: might be in three weeks. Yeah,
3: well, we're going to have to try that one. I'd, I'd love that. Yeah, there you go. We'll find, a, we'll, find a, we'll, find, we'll find a pub with a board. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, <laughs> no. I'll, bring my,
4: I'll bring my darts with me. Uh, and what you need to do okay. is go back
3: to the show a couple of weeks ago with Akshay, uh, the US Marine who talks about Buddha, the second dart and how that fits philosophically into life. It's a cracking story, and uh, we'll discuss it over a beer. I got got to find that Yeah,
2: I love it. Six seasons ago when we started this show, I never thought we'd be saying that darts can change your life, but there you go. We've just said it. (laughs) I always knew it. You're just slow catching up. Ben, thank you for your time, mate. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure
3: to meet you online through the podcast. Hope we get to see you face-to-face for a beer, some darts in Sydney or Melbourne for your trip out here. Good luck with your planning. Thanks again to Stan. And, um, mate, it's
4: been a real treat. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, I've I've enjoyed every minute of it. So thank you guys a very lot. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping we get to see each other face-to-face and have a pint. Take your
2: marks.
0: Hi, I'm athlete Dina Castor, and I've run a lot of marathons in my time, but I've never been so happy to see the finish line as with Garyan Rabo on the Mojo Radio Show.
2: I tell you what, amongst everything else, the Pekinator's got a great eye for talent, doesn't he? He's, he's handed us some hotties. He's dialed in, he's on the ball.
3: So thanks again to Stan for hooking us up and introducing us to Ben. If you haven't heard the Stan Peek episode on the show, I will put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Stan has a new book out that he's currently working on. I'm halfway through the galley, as they say in the biz. Uh, it's a really good handbook for performance, so we will let you know when Stan's new book is on the show.
1: The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. Pop quiz, hot shot.
2: Go. Who is this? Hot shot, who's that? John Karabi, The Dead Daisies. And that's their new album called Locked and Loaded. It's an album of covers of some of their favourite rock and roll, so it's out now.
1: Mojo Radio Show.
2: In the show, Ben talked about
3: looking backwards and what history can tell us about the future. And just before we finish, this is really cool. This is a piece from, do you know the name Johnny Ive? Yes. Why do I know that name? Johnny Ive was the industrial designer from Apple and he basically designed a lot of this beautiful stuff in the studio, laptops and phones and so on. He's the guy mm. that really put the to put the, the, the beautiful design elements inside and outside of the Apple products. And There's a piece online, I'll put the link to it in the show notes, but if you go to YouTube, you will see Johnny talking about basically tracking the history of Apple's design work. And this is a short piece from a clip on YouTube, which is Johnny talking about this gorgeous book they produced. And this book is following the journey, the history of the elements of design. If you hear what Johnny says, it sort of reinforces what Ben is saying about we need to look back in order to understand the journey to be
1: able to then progress forward. Lola, you want to play that? This book captures a point in time of incredible transitions and quite shocking change. You understand the nature of an object so much more when you understand how it came to be. The book tells dozens and dozens of stories. You see momentum, you see learning. Of course, as designers, you live in the future. (laughs) It's not that we're not interested in the work we've done before. It's just we are so consumed by what we haven't done yet.
3: So if that is true, we had a former guest on the show who said this, if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you are. If you don't know where you are, how the hell can you tell where you are going? Sounds like a song lyric. Who was that? That is a former guest of the show, who I think has been on a couple of times, and that, in fact, is going to be our playout track for today. Mm -hmm. That was the one and only bad boy of rock in Australia, which was Angry Anderson, and the song to take us out is
2: going to be, ah, it's got to be Bad Boy. We're out.
1: The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoo sound.com.au. For more about Gary, see GaryBertWhistle.com. and to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.